Hi everyone! Just a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode, we had a few audio quality issues this time. Uh, we ended up recording this episode twice. This version is a little better than the first time, but still has its issues. I promise we'll get it all sorted out uh, by episode 4. In fact, as you're hearing this, we have recorded episode 4 and sorted out the sound issues. So please bear with us and forgive us this time. And next time, I promise the sound will be much better. Okay, on with the show. Hello, welcome to another episode of Clockworks, the Legion podcast, where we find out how Legion works, how it clock works. No, no. <laughs> because it has the title of our show, is works. No, we, we're not doing that. Fine. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And today we're talking about episode three of Legion, which we have given the title, Shall We Begin? Uh, this episode was directed by Michael Uppendahl. He also directed the last episode, uh, Road to Nowhere. You remember we really liked his direction quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, this episode is written by Peter Calloway. It's the first episode of Legion not written by series creator Noah Hawley. Peter Calloway uh, is not a writer I was familiar with. He's written a few episodes of Under the Dome. Uh, he wrote and produced Under the Dome. He's a producer as well as a writer. He wrote a couple of episodes of Hellcats, which is a show I'm not familiar with, with but seems to be like a TV version of Bring It On about uh, competitive cheerleading. Oh, that he wrote a couple of episodes of Brothers and Sisters, which I've heard of but haven't seen. But Peter Calloway is also a comic book writer and probably a little more prolific as a comic book writer than as a screenwriter. So he's written several one-shot Batman and Joker and Batman universe comics. Would you, Jen, like to take us away on the beat-by-beat through this episode? All right, let's get into this. So we're calling this episode Shall We Begin? And that's how it starts. We open with flashes of a hallway with leeches coming right off of the end of the last episode and the man we call the Eye saying, shall we begin? Over and over. In a series of scenes, David's dog, King, plays with a red ball. David sits on the end of a dock in the present. Patonomy is in the memory workroom alone and seems to be in David's memories. Carrie slash Carrie are in a lab feeding a rat. Melanie makes a cup of coffee and the machine tells her a story of the woodcutter and the crane. While the story is being told, we see the showers at Summerland, including Sid and David showering. Amy is being tortured with the words, shall we begin? The woodcutter and the crane story finishes and Melanie dumps out her cup of coffee and plays the story again. David sits at the end of a dock and we see more flashes of Amy. Sid retrieves him to go for memory work. So first thing that draws my attention in this section is at the beginning, the shot of King playing with a red ball. Mm -hmm. And remember how significant red is for this show. The towels are red too, the shower scene. The towels in the shower scene are red. We're starting out with red. That's just drawing my attention. I also, it didn't really occur to me as I was watching it, but hearing you recap it, the shot of Carrie and Carrie feeding a rat in a lab makes me think about, are we associating the lab? There's a literal lab rat. So we're associating David with a lab rat. I noticed that too. So he's 
feel in Road to Nowhere, he really felt like they were, we commented on them, you know, doing tests on him and just as they did in Clockworks. And this episode, they're going to continue to do that. Yeah. It's going to be, again, he's their lab rat. Mm-hmm. We also see uh, Carrie, male Carrie and female Carrie kind of merging together. And so we we do see what their power is. That they seem to be in the same body somehow and that they're, they're very connected. Yeah, and we saw, or we heard in previous episodes, some kind of connection between them, but this is where we see it right yeah, in front of us. Exactly. It makes it a little more... Though it's so quick you could miss it, and frankly I did. The first time I watched this episode I didn't notice their connection, and it wasn't until the episode after this where they explained it that I fully understood what it was. Right. So maybe we'll get more into that by the end of uh, in the next episode of Clockworks. Maybe they will. Um, the major thing I think that uh, dominates this little section is the story of the woodcutter and the crane. Yeah. Uh, or the as the machine actually calls it, the story of the poor woodcutter and his wife. Right. What do we make of this story? And maybe we'll talk about it again yeah. when we get to the end of our Well, it's definitely, episode. like, it's, I looked it up a little bit, and it's a Japanese folktale. Okay. And so there's various versions of it. The version I read has the crane is his wife, and he okay. married, and he saves a crane in the woods, and then a woman comes along and marries him and makes clothes, and she's plucking her own feathers. But in the story that we hear on this show, it's a woodcutter and his wife, and they adopt a daughter who turns out to be the crane. So that's kind of an interesting change. That who knows what you know? There's all sorts of versions in folk tales. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts about why they would make that change? Why well, they- if I mean, we can speculate all throughout this episode on who the woodcutter is, who the is and if the woodcutter is and his wife are Melanie and maybe her husband, then the crane would be David. The crane would be any number of people who come to Summerland. I feel like once this episode ends, we can maybe, okay. or once we come to the end of the beat by beat, we can talk in general about the whole episode and who okay. that is. Can I say something quick about yeah. these showers are terrible? <laughs> <laughs> Why are there no doors? Why are there, like, I just, this is not the first time in like a movie or whatever, like Starship Troopers has this of like in the future or in some weird futuristic place we don't care about all seeing each other naked and we don't care about being all like naked in front of each other Sorry, I need a shower on. I need a door on my shower. Come and showers just... in a wave of the future, and I can't believe you're resisting this. Um, I don't know. Just, I was going to say, bug me. on the topic of those showers, like, even the co-ed awkwardness aside, they're not, they don't seem like comfortable showers. No. Like, they're, it's not a big shower room. No. It's a room with showers in it that don't have doors. It kind of seems breezy. Yeah, that's exactly it. Okay, but I know that, really, it's about vulnerability and they're all being vulnerable together at Summerland and it actually it's symbolic rather than literal because if it's literal it's stupid (laughs) (laughs) so we see specifically we see Sid and David both uh, well, it's interesting. Exposed and vulnerable. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. We see David sitting on the dock, and it's almost like he's seeing her in the shower, and then he is Ooh. in the shower himself. And so it's like he's being in her body almost, mm, or maybe he's remembering her body. Because is he actually taking a shower, or is he just thinking about her taking a shower? It's kind of a creepy aspect that I didn't think of. If yeah. he's there, like psychically spying on her in the shower, yeah. I don't think I'll 
yeah. I don't know if it's, I guess it is creepy, but it's also just like their connection. They have a strong connection to each other. Um, in the scene where, with Amy being interrogated in the room, yeah. uh, a detail in that room to point out is that there's a clock on the wall that has no hands. Yeah. The room in general is kind of worn down and dingy and uh, things in it are not clean and there's a contrast between the bright shininess of Summerland and this dinginess of this torture room. Absolutely. Um, but also the clock with no hands, I think, is something we want to notice and draw attention to. Yeah. That it's about, you know, time doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense in which if you're torturing someone or uh, psychologically torturing someone, you want them not to be able to have a sense of how long they've been there. And a clock with no hands is more effective at that than no clock at all. Yeah. And when you call the hospital clockworks, then you have a clock that doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. There's it's a little some... bit significant there. Yeah. Did you want to talk more about the red ball? Um, Just because it's a tennis ball. Like, it's yeah. clearly a red ball on purpose because it's a tennis ball. And so a tennis ball is yellow. A tennis ball is yellow or green. Like, this is a not... red tennis ball. It's not like a red bouncy ball. Mm-hmm. So everyone knows that the good and natural color of a tennis ball is green <laughs> and yellow. Much like the good natural shape of a ping pong paddle is round. <laughs> Exactly. I'm still hung up on that. Uh, if you have square <laughs> ping pong tables, in your, if you have square ping pong paddles in your life or in your past, contact us on Twitter. But I don't believe anyone will because that is wrong it's and unnatural. <laughs> and I know that red tennis balls exist. Red yeah, tennis balls are I'm not sure unnatural in the way that square ping pong paddles are. Well, I'm sure they didn't like make a red tennis ball for. I mean, maybe they did for the prop, but I'm sure they just went out and found one. But like, if we you are, we don't have a dog. Maybe they have. Maybe these are normal for dogs. I don't think so. I think if you are a TV show using a prop for a dog and it's a tennis ball and it's not a greenish yellow tennis ball, that is purposeful. You're choosing a red tennis ball. And the fact that it's a tennis ball rather than like a red bouncy ball is cueing us that like, hey, pay attention to this red ball. It's not normal. And that all the associations that we have of red with throughout this show, red is associated with danger and psychic uh, phenomena and the devil with yellow eyes is connected to red, Mm -hmm. not to yellow. Yeah. Um, so all of that is connected to King the Dog. And, I mean, no spoilers. As we're recording this episode, we've seen more than this episode. So Red is going to continue to be significant. Yeah. And the significance of Red, I think, is going to get even clearer in future episodes. Yeah, but go. we're paying attention to it now. Yeah. So in the memory room, Melanie explains that memory work is usually slow. But since Amy is in trouble, they need to go to the big events. Patonomy has been looking through David's memories and takes them to the kitchen memory. David explains that he and Philly fought. He's not sure what time this is until the bagels and the bread box get angry and the cupboard shake and time slows down as everything in the kitchen flies around him. Melanie is impressed with his raw power, saying that they need to find the triggers. So they rewind to find that Lenny and David are on the floor doing drugs with the frog that spews out vapor. Philly enters with cake and Lenny steals it. Philly is very angry and fights with Lenny over the drug frog. Melanie is surprised to find out that David was a junkie and speculates that he got trapped by Philly finding out. Autonomy tries to move on from this memory but is unable to. David is suddenly scared as the devil with the yellow eyes hand appears around the door and then he appears as well. Autonomy and Melanie don't see him and the door slams in Melanie's face. 
David doesn't remember what he saw, only the fear. Autonomy is unable to get them back into the moment, and they're suddenly awake, and in Melanie's office in Summerland, they've been teleported from the glass memory room, and Autonomy asks, what are you? So first off, the memory room table uh, has a big X on it. Yes. And I've noticed this previously, but the way it's shot in this, especially in this scene, really emphasizes the big yeah. X on it. I think, I think I called it an octagon last episode, but it's very clearly a hexagon, and it's got a big X in the middle of it. And the show is not big with the X-Men Easter eggs, but, you know, you put a great big X in your X-Men yeah. show, I'm going to notice it's and the, and the big window that's the circle with the X in it in Melanie's office as yes. well. Continuing on the paying attention to red things in the kitchen scene with the angry bagels, the countertop is red. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to assume that it has always been red, but it's another detail that I think has been we have drawn, we are paying more attention mm-hmm. to it. It's filmed, the shots show us the redness of the countertop more than they have in the past, I think. Yeah, I think you might be great. So, and again, connection of red to David losing control of his psychic powers and or the presence of the devil with yellow eyes. Melanie talking about uh, David's triggers, she says that uh, he felt trapped. Remember in yeah. Road to Nowhere how David was in the MRI machine and he blasted away from himself because he felt trapped oh, in the no. uh, MRI machine? Like, I think this is something, or in the interrogation room, when he starts to feel trapped is when he psychically yeah. touched the table back in Happy Jack. She, she, I mean, she definitely, she, they're looking for his trigger and Melanie puts her finger on it because it does seem like his trigger is feeling trapped. And definitely, even outside, even based on things that we know but Melanie doesn't, we can yeah. confirm that we've seen that he reacts this way to feeling trapped. Yeah. Which is interesting because when uh, Sid is in his body, she, her reaction is to trap people. And to trap herself, even. Yeah, exactly. She removes she, all the doors. She removes all the doors and traps herself in a doorless room. She does the exact opposite of him. So it's not like his power is... His power is linked psychologically to whoever, huh? <laughs> yeah, just like, it's so interesting, her being in his body and having his power. So his power is physical, mm-hmm. it's the mutation that gives him the power, but then his power, how his power works and is triggered and is used is depends on him as a person and in his... And psychology. Psychology and, and psychology, his soul, but, if we yeah. go later on in this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things I think the show is really making very interesting is we would have no problem with this if his power was, you know, he touches thing and fr- things and freezes them. Mm-hmm. Just because he has mental powers that we are tripping over the fact that his mental powers are connected to his body because we have this conception of mind-body duality. Yeah. Your mind isn't your body. And if his mind is in another body, how are his mental powers still in the body? So the mental powers are bodily powers. That seems, you know... Yeah. Mm. Yes. Um, the devil with the yellow eyes that David doesn't remember is crazy and then it's reflected in his eye. Yeah. When he goes away, you get this close-up of David's eye with a reflection of him in it. And is in that David's beautiful blue eye. When he's beautiful so blue eyes. So Sorry, he's so pretty. I don't have blue Anyway, um, does he, do we see the reflection in the eye as David doesn't remember it or before? As he doesn't remember it. He says, really? I don't, I only remember the fear. And he, then there's the reflection in his reflection eye. That eye. Maybe not. I guess, I guess I have to rewatch. No, exactly. The moment. Um, speaking of the devil with the yellow eyes in that scene, I just love the effect of the devil with the yellow eyes coming around the corner and the coloring all around. He has like a discolored black halo around himself. Yeah. Um, first of all, I love the way that looks. 
looks, but I also, the background around him is dark. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love the visual effect of that, but I also like the, what it means, because on one hand, it means that he makes everything darker. Yes. Um, and it also is a signal to us that he is changing David's memories, mm-hmm. right? The background is a still image of David's memory, and it's not just that the devil with yellow eyes appears in that memory and his and he is different, but he's changing everything around himself about his memories. Well, he's just walking through, you know? Yeah. He's not like he's, you know, we see him like shifting or manipulating, he's just walking through being scary. Yeah, and his presence, we see a physical representation of the fact that his presence changes changes David's memories, and then we see that acted out when David can't remember the fact that his memories have been changed, right? Mm-hmm. So we see it on two different levels. Yeah. Um, this makes me more, this episode makes me more convinced than I've been in the past. We've talked about what the devil with the yellow eyes is and what his connection is to David, and at this point I'm starting to think that the devil with yellow eyes is not David. He's something else. Because of how yeah. he moves in a different time than David's memories, he's walking through the memories the same way the time me and Melanie and David Ooh, are. Yeah. It makes me think that he's something foreign to David. Except with the reflection in his eye. It makes it feel like he's inside him. Right. And maybe he is a foreign thing inside David, but that definitely makes me question whether he's separate from him or whether he's mm-hmm. like the manifestation of his psychosis. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a little tiny thing that I wanted to draw attention to is in the kitchen scene, there's all these kitchen things flying around him, but then there's also a deck of cards and a three of clubs floats right past the camera and since this is an x-men show it made me think of gambit and it probably will have no significance but i don't know why is there why are there playing cards in his kitchen who keeps playing cards in their kitchen you don't play cards in the kitchen i guess yeah well frankly yes i do play cards (laughs) on the kitchen table but (laughs) Um, when they're all in the room that we're calling melanie's office for lack of a better term i don't know i don't think it actually is well i think they do talk work and i think the talk work gets done in that office so so in that room where there's you already mentioned the window that's a circle with an X through it. Uh, remember in Road to Nowhere, near the end, when they were standing in the elevator, there was a circle behind David's head that I said was looked like a halo around his head. Mm-hmm. And here in this scene, that circle that circle window is framed right behind David's head in exactly the same way as if it's a halo, but X out. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's an X-Men symbol connecting him to the X-Men. Maybe the halo represents his good intentions, and here they're X out. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly what to make of it, but it's a recreation yeah. of a shot from previous episodes, yeah. and the circle is X out, or the halo is X out. There's just circles everywhere. Like, yeah, when you start noticing them, you notice them everywhere. What's interesting aesthetic in this show is all the different circles. Mm-hmm. And the other thing to draw attention to is right at the end of this see this section that we talked about, autonomy says, what are you? Yes. And that, I mean, there's a lot to make of that. One mm. is that autonomy, who started out so friendly and supportive to David, is starting to be really uh, unsettled by him. Yes. And we see that in a lot of the ways that Tony acts in this episode, but that's a really strong one. Mm-hmm. Uh, what rather than who? Like he thinks yeah. of David as, as possibly completely alien and foreign. The other thing is it's a callback, I think, to Happy Jack when David's standing with the kids on the on Amy's porch and they say, "What are you supposed to be?" And here yeah. we have again, "What are you?" What are you? Yeah, yeah. Tony is yeah. He's an interesting character to watch because he's definitely changing as as he interacts with David. 
good. All right, so we get a shot of Sid walking through the woods to find David on the dock. They discuss Sid's childhood and her smart but unhappy mother. David talks about being Sid, remembering having long hair and being a woman. Sid mockingly says that it's not really her body. Anyone can come and go. David says how he liked being her. Then we cut to Amy being interrogated and answering questions about David's schizophrenia. Back in Summerland, David is being worked on by Carrie and Carrie, injecting him with dye and apologizing for treating him like a lab rat. There's that lab rat thing again. Carrie says, could you maybe not break everything this time? And David says, I'm not going to promise that. <laughs> Carrie tells him to think of something stressful. And we see a suburban Halloween scene. David is dressed as a spaceman with Amy dressed as a gypsy. Their dog, King, is with them and he runs off. As David looks for King, we hear the angriest boy in the world gets angry about being read by his father and growling sounds as he searches for the dog. The angriest boy appears corporally and David is terrified and then wakes in the lab again. He shakes it off as Lenny appears, telling him he's not safe. Lenny warns him that Amy is being hurt and then Lenny turns into Amy and begs him to come rescue her. The room begins to shake and red lights appear. David floats as malfunction detected is repeated over the loudspeaker. David and Sid float. We cut to the Division 3 boss interrogating Amy about David's powers, and Sid and David appear spectrally in the corner. The Division 3 guy insists that David has psychic powers and he's a god and blames Amy for his current state. They just want to turn him off. But Amy, of course, has no idea where he is. The eye is there as well, doing a carving. The eye seems to see David and reaches for him as he disappears. David and Sid resurface in the middle of the lake back at Summerland. I noticed as they're out on the dock, we talked in uh, Road to Nowhere and in Happy Jack about the season of the episode and once again it is summer in this episode. Yeah, it used to be summer in Summerland. I wonder, is it always summer in Summerland? Mm. Are the seasons going to change again? I'm looking forward to winter. <laughs> um, so, still summer in Summerland uh, and still summer in this episode except the flashback to Halloween, which is Halloween. Mm -hmm. The flashback in his memory to Halloween is not summer. Yeah, interesting. Um, I also, you said in your recap that uh, Sid mockingly says it's not really her body. Mm -hmm. and that's interesting because I didn't read that as mocking at all. I found mm -hmm. it a really profound statement of her mm -hmm. worldview and philosophy. She sounded bitter to me. No, not to me at all. Mm -hmm. I think that she says it's a way of her, I think it is a way of her making peace with a situation she's not really in control of or happy with, but I think that she's sincerely saying, like, I've, what she says, I've been a 300-pound man, I've been a little girl, I've been, or a 300-pound woman, a Chinese man, a little girl, wherever I go, I'm always me. Mm. Uh, we talk about the soul, but I know that my body is not who I am, right? Yeah. And so, you know, my body is not my body. I don't feel, I don't feel violated when you touch my body, when you're in my body, because my body is just where I happen to be at this moment. Mm. And I don't think that that's mocking or sarcastic or even bitter, although I think it is a coping mechanism. Yes. I don't think but she's I happy think, about her power. I don't think she's happy about her power, but I do think it's given her a perspective that uh, I think is a genuine perspective. Like, mm -hmm. I think it's a sincere perspective on what her body is, mm -hmm. that she doesn't have full ownership of her body, and that that's a sincere perspective. Mm -hmm. And she does talk about the soul and how it, she knows that there is one because she knows what it's like to be outside of her own body. And, the, and that is something that David, it seems like David has because of his disconnection between 
his body and his uh, power. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, I love you quoted it in your recap, but I'm going to say it even again because it made me laugh out loud every time I've seen this. But you maybe not break everything this time. <laughs> I'm not going to promise that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I don't have a deep analysis of yeah. that. We see um, Carrie, male Carrie, ask for something. Sid thinks he's asking her, and then female Carrie kind of emerges from behind her, and that's another signal of what their power is, that she's not just emerging from somewhere else in the room, she's emerging from him. Right. But it's it's easy to miss, and I really did miss it first time. Yeah. Uh, Halloween. Halloween. Yeah. Okay, I want to bring up, like, I can't believe I even noticed this. It's such a tiny, tiny thing in the background, there's this, like, white fence post or banner thing that has David scrawled on it in, like, childlike handwriting vertically down, and it, they don't go anywhere near it, but it's just there in the background, and it's really unsettling, and it just shows how corrupted his memories are. You think that's a sign that what we're seeing is not uh, really what happened? It's a literal sign, yeah. It's a and literal sign. And saying, yeah, saying that this is not really what his neighborhood was like. There's something about yeah. It's another... Uh, Speaking of which, did he really grow up in the country? Because this is all like a suburban scene. I think so. I mean, what we saw of his house in uh, Road to Nowhere was definitely, a, you know, big field that they're running through, and then their house with the garden out front, and it's yeah. by itself. They're trick-or-treating now. I don't think it's uh, too much to... I don't think it strains credulity that they drove into the nearest town to trick-or-treat, because you can't trick-or-treat when your house is Yeah, okay, I guess. I guess. I just feel like there's inconsistencies about where his house is in term- in relation to other people. That sometimes it feels like he talks about it like it was completely isolated, and sometimes when we see the memories, it feels like, no, there are definitely other people around. And definitely his adult memories are in a different space. They're in the city. Yes, yeah, definitely that. But, but here, I mean, it could be another uh, example of how his memories aren't reliable about what he mm-hmm. says and what he remembers and what we see of what he remembers don't all match up with each other. Yeah. But I would also think it's possible that they just traveled to the closest little yeah. town to trick-or-treat because you can't trick-or-treat by That's yourself. Well, he's searching for the dog and the what is the name? The title of the book, it's The Angriest Boy in the World Gets Angry? No, it's uh, The World's Angriest Boy in the World. The World's Angriest Boy in the World. Yes. I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> the title of the book, The World's Angriest Boy in the World. When, right. they're, when they're in Halloween and they suddenly see The World's Angriest Boy in the World in, like, physically with a paper mache head, that is the most terrifying thing. Well, and just before, when he's looking for his dog, he hears that book being read, but he also, there's growling sounds, and it's the same growling sounds as when he is in the MRI. And that's not his dog. Like, that's not King, it's not like a beagle growling. Yeah. We did, that's we a heard different that growling. Like, it was gnawing at his feet, and then the devil with yellow eyes appeared, and yeah. now we hear that same growling, and the angriest boy in the world appears. Yeah. I think that kind of lends credence to your theory that the angriest boy is the devil with yellow eyes. Yeah, yeah, I find that incredibly terrifying. Yes, <laughs> it is. Oh man, world. oh man. Like, he covers his eyes, and I want to cover my eyes too with that part. We have the reappearance here of uh, back in the present, in the what was once the MRI 
MRI room that doesn't have an MRI in it anymore, uh, we have slick-haired Lenny again. Mm-hmm. And once again, she seems very much like a different person from messy-haired Lenny. Yes. Like, we see messy-haired Lenny and we see slick-haired Lenny and they just do not act the same. Yeah, like, well, Lenny, when, when she's on the floor in his, in his uh, apartment and they're doing drugs together, she's very, like, ethereal and, like, she's got her hand up her shirt and she's talking crazy. I mean, she is on drugs, but she's she's not really comprehensible. But then Lenny in his, like, mind Lenny with, like, tricycle Lenny is mean. Yeah, and they're both they're both kind of aggressive. Yes. But messy-haired Lenny is stream of consciousness. She yeah. says things that don't connect to each other. Nothing she says is pointed. Mm-hmm. She's aggressive, but I think you're right. She's not mean. She's so much as uh, selfish. Yes. Yeah. Whereas slick back hair Lenny is like pointed. Yeah. She's aggressive in a pointed way. She's maybe trying to help David, but she's not trying to spare his feelings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, she's a very different character. And again, props to Aubrey Plaza because played very, very differently. Yes. Uh, the malfunction detected being played over and over again. I guess it's kind of obvious, but it feels like, you know, the machines are malfunctioning, but David is malfunctioning. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it does. And we have, when the malfunction is happening, we have danger lights mm-hmm. that are red. And maybe, are as in clockworks, are those literal lights in this literal space that are literally red to show that the machines are malfunctioning? Or are they psychic red lights that are a sign of David's psychic malfunction? Yeah. <laughs> or both. Yeah. Or, you know. Before they come up on the lake, mm-hmm. there's the two, like, we see water with two squirts of dye, just like when they have drugs, except one is one is blue, like the drugs, and one is green. And then they, you go up, and it's David and Sid emerging from the water. And so they are drugs. They well, are, like, it, I don't know, it's interesting. It's a very it, beautiful visual. It is a beautiful visual, and it's an interesting visual, and there's no uh, connection between the colors and the colors that those two characters are wearing. No, not at all. Like it's not like she's no. wearing green and so she's green ink. Yeah. And we could maybe, they're positioned with David being the blue one. Mm-hmm. Like Dave, the blue is on the left and David's on the left. Yeah. And the green is on the right and Sid is on the right. Green has so far usually represented Amy. Mm-hmm. But then we see Sid instead. And the blue, maybe blue has been associated with drugs. drugs. Like it's that drug. So that David is connected to the drugs, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I agree. I can't parse what's going on, but it is beautiful. Yeah. Visually. Um, I want to just say a few thing, more things before I can see in your face that you're wanting to move <laughs> on. But um, the room that they flash to and they're interrogating Amy, one more thing about that oh, room yeah, is it is green. Yes. Uh, and Amy is wearing her light green and the room is very dark. So again, Amy continues to be associated with green and what you said in Road to Nowhere about Amy wears pink when she's happy, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And so here, this is not a happy room. Not at all. Um, the eye is carving. The eye is carving again. again. What is his power? I want to know what his power is. <laughs> and what is up with? Does he see David because he has some kind of mental powers to be able to perceive them? He seems to be able to see David and Sid. I think they're actually there in that. Like I think they all could see them if they looked because okay. Amy sees him when he's in the hospital in the previous episode. I think she does at least. No, yeah, you're right. She seems to. So maybe Sid and David. It's like an astral projection of themselves. And what, what the camera is filming is what you would see if you were standing there. They're faded. They're kind of transparent presence. And mm. he only knows them because he happens to be looking. Yeah, that's okay. my theory. 
I kind of read it as him being able to sense them, but maybe that makes more sense. Yeah, and I mean, like, he has, like, weird powers that we just don't know much about. He definitely has some kind of powers, and the fact that he has a wonky eye uh, is a visual cue to us that his powers, whatever they are, have something to do with perception. Yeah. Right? He can see things that other people can't or yeah. in a different way from what people can or something. Or something. Yeah. Speaking of well, of the eye, we find out in the next scene that his name is Walter. We can finally call him by his name. If we feel like if it. If we feel like it. I like the eye, though. But uh, I, don't, I don't like the eye. The, <laughs> David and Sid return to Melanie's office and talk about Division 3 and that they're laying a trap for David. David wants to go back, but Melanie insists that Division 3 will follow him back and kill Rob. Sid asks about the eye and Melanie talks about how Summerland started, that her husband and Carrie started it. And Walter, who is with the Eye's real name, was there in those early days, but wanted to hurt people. Melanie is upset because they are at war and they want to use David, and she wants him to be healthy and happy. They decide to sedate David to gain unfiltered access to his mind. Sid insists that she be there too, but David says no. We then get flashes of David and Lenny cooking on a stove and being happy but very drugged up. Things flash forward and backward. Sid wakes in her bed and then finds David sitting in the shower room. He tells Sid about being a junkie and is worried that Sid won't see him the same way. But she says she won't because they love each other. And here we hear why Melanie wanted to listen to the story from the coffee maker. We hear that the coffee maker voice and the elevator voice and the malfunction detective voice are all Melanie's husband who something happened to or yeah, were she, she on what happened to she him. She sit us did he die and she very stealthily avoids the question she does not say yes but now so I feel like this is so nicely paced that mm-hmm. we have this at the beginning it's coming out at this point in the episode far enough into the episode that that we're no longer actively wondering about what is the deal with Melanie and listening to the story twice yeah. but not so far that it's, it seems irrelevant and it gives us a perspective back on the beginning of the episode and on the whole episode and on Melanie's relationship to the whole uh, facility. Mm-hmm. I really think it's well and that she made. wasn't she wasn't listening to that story because that story was so interesting to her. She was just listening to her husband's voice. Exactly. And it's kind of sweet in a way. Um, and also, uh, we've been hearing that voice. Like she says, if you've heard the elevators, you've heard that voice. And if you're paying attention, if you happen to have rewatched the episode <laughs> since you saw this episode as mm-hmm. we did, um, you know that that's true. That the person who does the voice of the copy maker is the same voice that has been the elevator all along and if that mm. voice sounds at all familiar to you it should and not just wait to, till next week just <laughs> wait till next week you find out the actor uh, but it's an actor that I was familiar with and I couldn't place him at this point in mm. the show but it sounded familiar and for a reason yeah and we also get confirmation that this is taking place in the 70s and it's a weird 70s but Melanie says it was 30 years ago in the 40s that Summerland began right so last episode we disagreed with each other about whether this is styled 60s or 70s and you said 70s you're looking smug yes, right very now smug. <laughs> <laughs> I still think some of the visuals are 60s even well, if it's literally yeah, early 70s just would still have 60s things yes. and, but it also says that Amy who is very 60s in her clothes and in her hair is living a little bit in the past right? and that makes her feel older than David Yeah, and she definitely she has a motherly feel to her like mm-hmm. it seems like she takes on a very motherly role in David's life mm-hmm. and the fact that she dresses like it's you know five years ago 
10 years ago shows her mother Letus. Right. Makes her feel old, that much older than David. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I wonder if we should comment on in this section if they decide to sedate him. This is the worst idea. idea. (laughs) Spoilers for just later in this episode. Mm -hmm. This seems like a terrible idea, and it is. What a bad idea this is. But she wants unfiltered access, and that's just, that is like a strong word. Unfiltered access. And it, like, I don't know, I feel myself questioning Melanie. Mm -hmm. What, is she good? Is she, uh, I don't know, what Mm -hmm. is her motive, and what is her, does she actually want him to be healthy and happy? Because Sid's really upset when she says that he wants, she wants to use David. And then she goes, no, but I also want him to be, you know, healthy and happy and blah, blah, blah. But she wants to use him. And that is the problem there. And she said in the episode Road to Nowhere, she said, Division 3, what's wrong with Division 3 is they want to control people like you and Sid. And here we see that is exactly what she wants yeah, to do. Yeah, what makes her better than Division 3? Maybe. And, I mean, speaking of costuming, we're going to talk about clothes at the end of the episode, but I'm going to draw attention to one thing here, which is she's wearing uh, this off-white that she wears. Division 3 man, who's interrogating Amy, is wearing the same shade of off-white. Mm. So there's a parallel between yeah. the two of them that's really clear in the costuming. Yeah. Is Sid dreaming of David? It's weird because, and like this links to the beginning of the episode with their shower connection, is we see all these flashes of, of uh, David's past with Lenny and with the drug dealer and the stove and all that stuff. And then Sid is the one who like wakes up with a start in her bed. Right. And what we would be what we've been trained to think from TV shows, the visual language of TV shows, is you show a dream and then you show someone waking up, we know that the person waking up is the person who was dreaming that dream, right? Mm-hmm. So we see these flashes, but then Sid's the one who wakes up. Yeah. So it's yeah, I just, I don't know what the answer is, but it feels a little like Sid is coming yeah. out of David. But then she doesn't know, like, and then she goes and talks to David and he, confer- he confirms that he was a junkie and doesn't want her to know that, but he has to tell her. Maybe she does know it, though. I mean, maybe yeah. she sees that and doesn't know it. Yeah. There definitely seems to be a continuing connection between mm-hmm. Sid and David. And is that an aspect of her powers or his? Yes. Is it like because they have an emotional connection, he is maintaining a psychic connection all the time? Or is it a lingering effect of them being in each other's bodies? Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know. I'm not sure. We don't see Sid talking about anyone else's. Yeah. But we also don't see her talking about much in terms of her power. We don't have no. a, we don't have a lot of insight into her, how her power, besides the conversation earlier in this episode, we don't have a lot of insight. And presumably, whether it's conscious by David or not, it would be different being in a psychic's body than in a non-powered person's body for her, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There definitely is a continuous psychic connection between them, whatever the cause of it, I think we can safely say that it is something that we are see- that exists. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, also, uh, it is totally fair that David doesn't want, she, she says she's going to be, she's going to come into his mind with them. And Melanie and Economy go into his mind while he's stated, she says she's going to come with them. Mm-hmm. Um, David doesn't want her to. It's totally yeah. fair that he doesn't want her to. Yeah, like Sid didn't want her him in her mind when she was 
was saying, like, you know, you're cute or whatever. That was all sweet. But she's like, I don't want you to know what I'm thinking. And he shouldn't have to tell her what he's, you know, his deepest, darkest secrets when they're in this early part yeah. of their relationship. That's really uncomfortable. It was in the last episode, he reads her mind. She says, not everything is for you to know. Yeah. And then now everything about him is for her to know. Mm-hmm. But they're in love. And so it's sweet. But they're know. in love. So it's loud. So it's good. Yeah. Um, I don't know how I feel about their love story in terms of that. I think we'll. We also have this little section, uh, David saying out loud what we talked about in our previous episode about doesn't seem, it's, we asked whether it's possible that he is both psychic and mentally ill and mm-hmm. commented on how no one in this show seems to consider that as a possibility. Yeah. But David himself says, and yeah. says it out loud here that like the fact that he has psychic powers does not make it impossible that he's also psychotic. Yeah, exactly. Back in Melanie's office, David is sedated. In the past, David and Lenny ride a cart down an alley while Tommy, Melanie, and Sid watch. David is present, but in child form. Memory David breaks into his therapist's office, stealing essentially random things and seeing visions of his past sessions. He looks for the tape recordings of his sessions and the room begins to shake, but only Sid can feel it. There are flashes of David eating the tape and a crack appeal appears in the wall with red light and hands coming out of it, unseen by all except Sid. When they are unable to leave, Sid follows David through various memories, dreamlike. They leap over Lenny and David on the floor, David in the kitchen with Amy having an argument, David having sex with, I think, Philly. Sid follows David into a cubbyhole in his childhood home, and they crawl inside the walls. The angriest boy appears and chases them, and red lights shine. Then the angriest boy changes to the devil with yellow eyes, while Sid screams at David to wake up. She wakes back in the office and attempts to wake the others without touching them. Ptolemy wakes, but Melanie is still under. We see Melanie walk through David's childhood home and see his parents, his mother with a mixing bowl and his father working at his desk. She hears the sound of a dog whining and goes to a hallway in David's room. In a closet, she finds the Angriest Boy book. There's a new page with the Angriest Boy standing in front of burning buildings holding a lighter. The book suddenly closes on her hand and the devil with yellow eyes appears behind her. She awakes in pain, but her hand is not actually hurt. David is still under, unable to wait, and we see crowds of people shouting around him as we cut to credits. So what so, happens <laughs> And this starts with Melanie saying they want to see how he ended up being in Clockwork. Mm-hmm. This is the memory that they go to, and that takes them to uh, breaking into Dr. Cool's office. So, mm-hmm. so, t- so breaking into Dr. Cool's office is what got him institutionalized? We can Or led to this event. I have a theory on how the events progressed. Should I say it? Go. Yeah. So I think, this is my theory, is he's still wearing the striped shirt. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he could wear a different shirt. He wore the same shirt on different days, but I feel like he had the session with What Did the Stars Say? He goes with Lenny with the stone. They do drugs. Uh, and Lenny talks about breaking into his office. And so later that night, David breaks into his office, gets drugs and destroys the tapes. Him and Lenny drive down, go down the alley. All The shopping cart is covered with tapes. So the shopping cart thing is happening after the break-in. It's happening after the break-in. They do some drugs, and then the scene in the kitchen where he's yelling with Amy. Amy is upset over what he's done and that he's a drug addict. He goes and has sex with Billy and and tries to hang himself. And the hanging himself and all the events leading up to it make him end up in clockworks. So all that from the session about what the stars say all the way to him hanging himself, I think it's all one day. I think that's all one day. And I think that's the day that... 
led him to go to get okay. institutionalized. So I was gonna say, yeah, I can I can buy that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was gonna say if robbing Doctor Cool is what got him institutionalized, it suddenly makes sense in a way it never has to me before. How it could be possible that he and Lenny are both institutionalized together? Exactly. If they robbed Doctor Cool together or something, he, she wasn't there when he robbed him. But if they were both involved in robbing Doctor Cool, mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense that they would both end up in the same place at the same time because it was the same incident that sparked both of them. Yeah. Having said that, I am not totally sure that the messy-haired Lenny we see in Clockworks is the same person as the messy-haired Lenny we see before Clockworks. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It could be. Those are the most alike, I think, of all the Lennies we see. Yeah. But I still am not totally sure. Mm. You you mentioned the What Did the Stars Say session, and that is the question. Like, lots of things happen in that session, but that's the part that we see again in this scene. Yeah. What did the stars say? What did the stars say? We still don't get an answer. Yeah, and he destroys... That's the thing that makes him want to destroy his hate, feels like. And it's memories inside of memories, and Photonomy is weirded out. Photonomy, whose job is this, who knows how memory works, sees the memory inside the memory, and is like, oh, that's interesting. So once again, like, David's mind works different than any other mind that Photonomy has ever seen. Yeah. And presumably he's done this a lot. Yeah, so this is not just how memory always works. Yeah. Uh, what did the stars say? What did the stars say? What did the stars say? While David's destroying, while David's searching for his tapes, uh, I just noticed one some names of the other tapes, and one of the names on the of another patient is Mr. Plaza, <laughs> as in Aubrey Plaza. That's cute. That's nice. Um, and the flash that we see of David eating the tape is the same shot that we saw way back in Happy Jack. Yeah. So this is it's a shot that we recognize. It's a shot that we recognize. We've seen it a lot by now. I think we've seen it. I think this isn't the first time we've seen it in this episode, even. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's all the way back to the very first time skipping flash that we saw in this show, mm-hmm. right after in Happy Jack, right after the cupcake in the family meeting room in Clockworks. Mm-hmm. The very first flash we see is this him eating the tape. Yeah. Is he actually eating the tape, or is that a messed up memory? It does not seem very. <laughs> I mean, like, it doesn't seem very good. It doesn't seem mm-hmm. plausible that to me. I mean, it doesn't seem likely to me that he was physically eating the tape, but I guess... I don't know, people with drugs do weird things. They do. Like, he didn't necessarily eat them, they, like, shoved them in his mouth to destroy them? Yeah. I don't know. I think certainly super destroying them. Yeah, yeah. And eating, I mean, if eating it isn't literal, or even if it is literally what happened in the show, the writers still made that happen for uh, meanings that can be beyond literal. Yeah. So what does it mean that he's eating them to destroy them? Mm -hmm. That he wants to destroy them, he's also... He wants to take it back inside of him. Exactly, yeah. I think you're exactly right. He wants, he could, something came out of his mouth and wants to put it back in. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I like that a lot. Why? Back to what we said uh, a scene ago about the connection between Sid and David. Yeah, why? Seeing more evidence of this now. Mm-hmm. Why is she the only one who can see the breaking, yeah. the red light and the devil with yellow eyes? Melanie and Autonomy don't see it. See it. And she sees the flash of him eating the tape. Well, uh, I don't know. It's like she has, by virtue of being in his body, she has some different connection, different insight, different experience. But I don't know. And if the devil with yellow eyes, as I'm starting to suspect at this point, is 
not the same thing as David, then here we see that she has a psychic connection not just to David. Yeah, right? absolutely. She has some kind of psychic connection to the double yellow eyes. Yeah. That's interesting. That is so interesting. Um, all the running around in David's memories, I noticed there's once again, as there is in Clockworks and in Summerland, again in the memory of David's childhood home, there's plant matter on the mm. walls. There's a yeah. window, and it's not as overdone as Clockworks in Summerland. Like, it's within the realm of realism. It could just be, you know, his parents like plants. Yeah. But there's a window that's covered in uh, climbing plants. Mm. And in his room, there's a ceiling light, like a ceiling fan, but instead of a fan, it's covered in plants. Mm. And again, maybe this is the idea of inside's outside, the yeah. outside is inside. It's overgrown, and possibly like his memory of what the house looks like now, if it's a rundown house, is conflicting with his memory of what right. it was like as his childhood. Yeah, that, that makes sense. We find after making such a big deal in uh, Road to Nowhere about his father's face being blacked out and his mother's face never being on scene yeah. on screen. Melanie sees them. But he still hasn't seen them. Yeah, yeah. So we now have seen both of his parents' faces and Melanie has seen his parents' faces, but David hasn't seen them himself. Yeah. We see the, the burning uh, on the page of The Angry Boy. We see this new page yeah. him burning down everything. And it's not just like one house, it's like an entire town so that what he's is, committed arson. I mean, we've said in Road to Nowhere that we theorized that since the angriest boy in the world is David, according mm-hmm. to Dr. Cool, we know who that angriest boy is, don't we? Yeah. Um, if the angriest boy in the world is David, and the angriest boy in the world killed his mother, and we don't know where David's mother is, we mm-hmm. theorized that possibly Maybe. David actually killed his mother, Maybe or something. <sighs> and does that mean that David also burned buildings down? And if he didn't, is this book showing what he's going oh, to yeah, do? Yeah, that is thing. What is that about? And it's very dramatic because in the Angry Boy book, it's all black and white except red. Yeah. Red is significant. There's red blood and there's red fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does feel like he's, he wants to watch the world burn. Yeah. Is that what it is? Is it the angriest boy wants the world to burn? Wants Maybe. to destroy? I don't know. And Melanie's very disturbed by this. Very. Because it's very disturbing. Yeah, it is a disturbing book. <laughs> I don't want it to be real. Um, a little bit of meta-knowledge I happen to have read about is that uh, uh, Noah Hawley wrote the Angry Boy in the World book, like, obviously, you can tell. Yeah. There is a physical, there's a prop that is the entire Angry Boy in the World as a mm-hmm. single book that exists on that set. And <laughs> what a big of the set is! What other pages are there? Because it's not the end of the book. No. In Burning Down, it, her hand gets clamped, not in the end of the book. So there's more, there's more. This book, And I assume we're going to see more in future episodes. Oh, man. I can't wait. I cannot wait. I saw, I noticed, um, we see the cover of the book, and it's The World's Angriest Boy in the World is the title, and there's an author's name. I tried to pause and read the author's name, but I could never get it clear enough to read it. But it seems to me like it says Heathcliff something, Mm. which means nothing to me at all. It could just be, I mean, it could just be... Random. They they picked a name at random. Mm. That doesn't seem like them, though. Doesn't seem (laughs) to like them to make things random. Uh, Maybe in the future we'll get a better shot of the cover. The the author of the book is not Noah Hawley. No. I can say that. That's good. The author of the book is... What I was specifically looking for is, is the author of the book Noah Hawley, is the author of the book David Holler, mm-hmm. is the author of the book you Dr. Know, Charles Xavier, yeah, yeah. and it's none of those things. Yeah. So that's at least worth, I, I mean, that's worth my attention anyway. The last shot in this episode of him in like white light being surrounded by all these people just like pointing and shouting at him, that's a scene we saw in the very first episode, again, right, I think right before he hangs himself. In the montage. In the montage, yeah. yeah. We see it a few different times. 
Yeah. Is that's kind of his feeling of the world. It's one of the can't things, control it. It's one of the things that Sid said about being in his body is that everything was loud. Mm-hmm. And when Sid is in David's body, all the people in Clockwork are shouting at him. Yeah, exactly. So this is, again, how it feels to be David is everyone is shouting around him and at him. Mm-hmm. And when he's sedated, he doesn't have the power to turn down the volume the way Melanie has taught him. Exactly. Yeah, that's point. So that's, I mean, my thoughts about this scene. Do we have yeah. to, do we want to have you overall thoughts of the episode? Well, let's get back to the woodcutter and the crane. Okay. So what, what is the deal with that story and what significance does it have in this episode? It seems to me like the idea of the point of the woodcutter and the crane is all about how when you look too closely at something, it goes away. Yes. Right? The woodcutter and his wife have this daughter who is making good things for them and they literally pull the curtain aside and she flies away. And what Melanie and the people of Summerland are trying to do is pull the curtain aside and find out how David works and they're going to ruin it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But there's also a sense, in a, a, a simpler sense of just, this is a story about people who aren't what they seem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who are in disguise. Yeah. If, yeah, if other people are the crane, what if Melanie is crane and she isn't what she seems? Right. And if they ever pull the curtain back on Melanie, she'll, I don't know if that makes sense. I mean, it's what uh, Slickback Herod Lenny says about uh, Melanie. Yeah. Secrets have secrets. Yeah. And we have, we've gotten a bit of a sense of that, but Slickback Herod Lenny seems very sure that uh, Melanie is not trustworthy. And if we think that Slickback Herod Lenny is an aspect of David's mind, then that suggests that David doesn't trust Melanie. And if David is psychic and unconsciously is reading Melanie's mind, mm. then when David doesn't trust Melanie, it could be for very good reasons that he isn't consciously aware of, but is somehow perceiving, and Lenny is the uh, way that his mind is telling itself not to trust. Well, and then David is the one pulling back the curtain. Exactly. On everyone, he could. Yeah. He could pull back the curtain on everyone, because he can read everyone's mind. And if he actually could harness his power, he could be he could be a god, like the Division Three guy said, because he could do so much. He can pull back the curtain, and if we take it back to the story again, and then they aren't who they seem anymore. More, mm-hmm. and they fly away. Yeah. And it's about, again, it's about uh, David reading people's mind and Sid being in David's mind. And it's about when you, uh, like Sid says, it's fine because we love each other for me to be in your mind. But the story of the crane, the woodcutter and his wife and the crane is that when you look at someone's secrets, they fly away from you. Like it could yeah. be about, uh, not so much about things stop working as that too much openness is harmful to emotional closeness. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Is yeah. David Crane? Is David the Woodcutter? Is, yeah. Is, is there a, is, is this Sid, an allegory? Is Sid the Woodcutter? Is Sid the Crane? Is, yeah. Oh, they all could be. And also, the story doesn't quite line up. No. There's not an exact parallel, and that's what makes it good, is that yeah. it's not this, like, pat little, and you hear the story at the beginning, and by the end of the episode, you know exactly what it means, la la la. Like, definitely, it's not that. Mm-hmm. You have to think more, you can apply it, and you can see how any one of them could be and there's definitely thematic links more than direct allegorical ones. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It makes this show super great. Um, do you want to talk a bit about clothing? In this yeah, episode? yeah, I do. Okay, so, as always, David's shirt is something. So this time, <laughs> he's wearing a black shirt with a big orange arrow pointing to his left shoulder. So, on a compass, uh, that would be pointing northwest. Mm-hmm. Um, and that makes me immediately think of Hamlet. Uh, in Hamlet, Hamlet says that he is but mad north-northwest. Mm. By which he means that, like a compass that is pretty close to pointing right. He's, you know, he's giving you northwest when you want north. He's not as crazy as people think he is. Mm. So the two things that I get from that 
possibly if David is north northwest is that he is on one hand it's a sign to us that he's not as crazy as we think he is but on the other hand it's a sign that he's not as sane as Melanie thinks he is mm-hmm. right Melanie says you are not psychotic and his shirt is saying I'm not quite north north yeah I'm north northwest interesting because where I saw the, the arrow was pointing like two different things that I thought of was it's misdirection right Just look over yeah. there yeah. don't look at me look over there and then I also thought of like the devil and the angel on mm-hmm. the shoulders and the left shoulder would be traditionally the devil and so he's pointing to who is in charge oh interesting and so if the devil with on his shoulder with yellow <laughs> eyes is on his shoulder that's who the arrow is pointing at interesting yeah and we see the devil in his eyes yeah interesting it's, it's almost like an I'm with her yeah. or I'm with stupid arrow except <laughs> it's only pointing to the shoulder Hmm. The other thing that David is wearing, and interestingly, both David and Sid are wearing matching watches or like maybe communication devices really? on the dot. They're like these white and silver wrist things that look like watches. And I don't know yet what those are, or and I haven't noticed if other people are wearing them as well. Hmm. But they're definitely matching <laughs> things. Part of Team Summerland superhero team uniform. Yeah, it does add like a superhero uh aspect to it. And there's lots of the costumes in this are have just kind of a tiny bit of a superhero look to them, like the all in black and the all in one color. And the way that people tend to wear I mean, especially the more minor characters rather than David. The way that the people in Summerland tend to wear a uniform. Yeah. That is their own their own unique uniform. Mm-hmm. Sid always wears the same thing. Autonomy always wears the same thing. Carrie always wears the same thing. Yeah. Melanie always wears the same thing, basically. Yeah. With it with some variation. Yeah. And speaking of Melanie, she's still in her like cream colored clothes, but her jacket, unlike the really flowy kind of cardigan she wore last time, this time her jacket is very structured and kind of military like. And this is when she's mentioning war. Mm-hmm. I suddenly was like, hey, her jacket is like a military uniform. So she's definitely much more business like, militaristic in this episode. Mm-hmm. And her wardrobe reflects that. Who else? His mother. Yes. Because David's mother, we see her for the first time in full on and she's wearing a green dress. Oh, is she? Just like Amy, David's mother wears green. So this may be what you said before about Amy being motherly to David. Yeah. And if David... I just don't think he killed her because of the relationship he has with Amy. Right. It feels like Amy would not be as friendly towards David if he killed their mother. Yeah. But if his if their mother died, regardless whether she was killed by David or not, if their mother died when they were young, it definitely seems like Amy has taken over the role of mother. And this green this green dress <laughs> and look really is reflects a sign of that. I noticed in the Halloween episode, like we talked about perhaps in the Halloween portion of the episode, I mean, I talked about maybe they've, you know, come down to the closest town to trick or treat, but their parents certainly aren't with them. No. So if they, if my imaginary backstory is that they drove down there, mm-hmm. someone had to chauffeur them and then leave. That's, I mean, it's the sixties, and so it's what yeah, like people I were guess. taking kids around trick or treating back yeah, then at all. That's that didn't happen until now. Um, in the scene where they're where Lenny and David are high on the floor, Lenny is wearing a shirt, a black shirt with a red star on it. Mm, uh, a communism shirt. A communism shirt. Yeah, mm-hmm. but again, with the significance of red in this yeah. show, that caught my eye. Red always. Does. 
does. Yes. Has she worn that red star shirt before? I don't think she has. I don't think so. I think last time that they were high on the floor, she was not wearing that red shirt, uh-huh. which is a thing you noticed, that when they're high on the floor, you mentioned this in the last episode, that uh, I didn't notice it until you did. Their clothes, when they're on the hot, when they're high on the ground, are not the same in every scene, and maybe that's a sign that it's several different instances, yeah, or maybe this... it's another sign to us that his memory isn't reliable. Yeah, this seems like it's not the time that Lenny and, and Philly fought over the fraud. This is a totally different... No, wait. The opposite of that. Yeah. This is the time This is the time the that they're the fraud. This is not the time with the striped shirt and talking about robbing Dr. Poole, because this is after they robbed Dr. Poole. Right. The timeline Which is, is the messed timeline up. timeline when you suggested the timeline and said they were all that was all on the same day. Yeah, unless they robbed Dr. Poole more than once. Yeah. I don't know. It is, yeah. Maybe it is different days. It's. I mean, it's not supposed to be linear. Yeah. And it never will be, so I can speculate some linear, linear things, but I will, I don't think we'll ever know exactly linear, right. exactly what happened. <laughs> um, do you want me to talk about the music? Yeah, so let's, yeah, if we're done with the clothing, let's talk about the music. This episode has the fewest songs of any episode we've uh, seen yet. Um, there's only one song. There's instrumental music throughout that's very atmospheric, and we have the jazz connected to the double TLOIs and mm-hmm. all of that, but in terms of songs, there's just the one, and it's during the flashback to Halloween. Mm. We get uh, the song is Monkey by Robert Plant and the uh, Band of Joy. Robert Plant is best known for being the lead singer of Led Zeppelin. Right. So the Band of Joy was his band before Led Zeppelin, and then he refounded it after Led Zeppelin, <laughs> and is currently uh, oh, okay. it's currently going. Um, and the song Monkey, the lyrics that we hear are just the very beginning, a little snippet of it, and the lyrics that we hear are Oh my my, little white lie, I swear I'm going to make it right this time. Mm. The lyrics of the song throughout uh, make it really fairly clear that the monkey in the title of the song is like the monkey on the singer's back. Mm. So like drugs. Like drugs or alcohol or something. And oh my my, little white lie, I swear I'm going to make it right this time. The chorus of the song is tonight the monkey dies. Mm. So if we want to connect that, there's a number of ways to connect that to this episode. I mean, it could be about the drugs, it could be about David trying to change and be a better person about him not wanting Sid to see his druggy past. Mm-hmm. It could also be about uh, the monkey on David's back is not actually drugs. What you said about pointing to the shoulder and the devil with yellow eyes on his shoulder and the idea of connecting that to an idea of a monkey on your back, like there's a literal something on his back or shoulder or eye or something. Mm-hmm. All of those things are possible. And then there's the idea of a little white lie as the aspect of this song that we actually hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of this episode that's about lying and truth and how much truth how how honest are you with people is it okay for people to expect full honesty from you is it okay for people to demand full honesty yeah. from you what if they love you what if they don't uh, is there such thing as a little white lie I feel like these are yeah. the, that goes to back to the woodcutter and the crane is a little white lie yeah yeah that's a good point so um, yeah. those are all the thoughts I have connected to the song the song this episode. Right. Right. Well, I think that brings us to the end of this episode of Clockworks. Thanks for listening. Uh, you can find us online if you want to discuss any of the points we've brought up here and to uh, if we've missed something that you think is a glaring error and we haven't <laughs> talked about it. I'm sure we've missed some things. We're 
this is the second time we're recording this episode, so we've, I'm sure we've forgotten to talk about some of the things we've even <laughs> talked about previously. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at ClockworksCast. Our website is goodstuff.fm slash clockworks. And if you want to send us an email, good old-fashioned email, clockworkscast at gmail.com. I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye.